Hello, listener. Welcome to Marching In, a dedicated Southampton FC podcast hosted by me, Luke Innes, and Sam Apperton. Music comes from Lawrence Norton. If you want to stay up to date with the pod and find out about future guests and upcoming episodes, you can find us on Twitter at Marching In Pod. Well, well, well. Instead of the usual welcome listener, uh, we're going to get straight into it. Sam, Ralph gone. Let's talk. Yeah, I mean, it had to happen, didn't it, really? And yeah, since uh, the game finished, what, near four o'clock on Sunday, things have moved on very quickly. And yeah, an end of an era, I guess. It's been, I mean, it's been a roller coaster, hasn't it, the last few years that he's been in charge, but. I think the time is right to for a change to be made. We'll move on to what that change is going to be later on. But yeah, I've, I think a part of the ways had to happen. Yeah, it. We, we've. I'm trying to kind of sum up maybe some of our thoughts across the last couple of months in that we felt it's inevitable. I think we spoke last pod in that a change was likely during the World Cup break. Uh it's happened a bit sooner than that, but the writing has been on the wall for some time. I think the manner of the defeat on Sunday, and I think we'll spend more time speaking about Ralph Jones, the managerial situation rather than that game. But I think the manner of the defeat just seemed like, okay, now is the the, the clearest sort of window to do this. Um, as you say, I think it has been a roller coaster. It's an end of an era. He's our longest serving manager for 20 plus years. He's kept us up in some very difficult circumstances. And I I kind of, I wish him all the best. And I hope actually he can fucking relax because he's an intense guy, an intense geezer. And he's sort of had the weight of keeping us up on his shoulders for four plus seasons. And, and, you know, fair play to the guy for doing that. And working within the Gao era specifically is not an easy task. And he goes, I think, with sort of, yeah, a, a good reputation in my book in terms of the job he's done. But the the time for change was now. Yeah, I mean, you can't ever... I mean, obviously the last few months have sort of got a bit like he probably should have gone. He's looked, he's looked quite tired. He's looked like he's probably lost a little bit of the passion, but fair, fair play to God. For the, part, for the last four years, he's really bought into the club. He's bought into how, how we wanted to move forward as a club and like, obviously his pressing style, he's picked up some incredible results in that time. Obviously, some bad results that are well publicised, but you can't fault the guy for really buying into it and, and probably, and just, just, I mean, his life must have been saints and he just, I mean, as someone who, goes for a lot of games but doesn't have to invest as much into it as Ralph does it, it's, it's bloody bloody hard work following Saints and must be even harder managing him at times especially as you said under under the Gao regime that he just had no money and obviously with the sell to buy in the first summer that he didn't have to sell to buy was um was the summer just gone and 
he's obviously been hamstrung a little bit by the striking situation. I mean, I'm a little bit torn on that as our bad. I mean, we have had bad runs of form when we have had good strikers. It's not just been down to that. But obviously, and the, and the young players as well that have come in, it's probably it's probably a bit soon for them to sort of gel and really hit the heights of what they probably can get to in the next couple of years. But yeah, just it got to a point where the the results spoke for themselves. And I personally, as I've said a couple of times in the pod, would have probably done a part of the ways at the end of last season. Just just a clean break there with the new ownership and maybe their own man to come in there. But obviously they gave him the summer and it's just, we've had, we've had very, very, very poor performances this season. It's just been very, very, it's just been passive and maybe they just, the squad probably just need a new voice. Yeah. And I guess to unpack some of the more explosive stories that have, been uncovered in the last couple of days and there's been I think some competing feelings amongst Saints fans on social media as actually is this even a good thing to be unpacking you know the the more damaging aspects of Ralph's relationship with the with the players and I, I think it'd be interesting to hear kind of our thoughts on that but some of that has been on how emotional he has been at times and you know whether it was beating Liverpool 1-0 in that famous falling to the knees or, you know, I I guess just clearly feeling frustrated and angry on the touchline that I I think is ultimately bred into the players a little bit in terms of, or bled into the players a little bit in terms of their performances and not wanting to take risks or, or make mistakes and that kind of formulaic football that we've seen without the ball and with it, I think has been kind of a, key aspect of our demise in terms of performance levels and intensity but as soon as that goes I think Ralph has struggled a little bit with the man management side of the game and again some of these stories have pointed to the fact that he you know hasn't delivered news on selection uh, decisions himself he's maybe relied on some senior players to renege on his decisions to play players and again there's like these unnamed sources that are delivering this information to I mean, let's call it out, the athletic. <laughs> um, it, it, it does seem like the situation was so fractured that something had to happen, but you touched on it in terms of it's been a roller coaster for him. And, you know, as a Saints fan, it's stressful. He's put so much into this. And I think that irrelevant of the nine nils and, and the big defeats and high profile kind of loss of form that we've had over the last 25 Premier League games, I think the wider footballing world sees the job that he's done as a pretty decent one. And people say, look, be kind of careful what you what you wish for in this situation. I think we're of the opinion that it was the right call, but just fair play to the guy. And I kind of want to yeah, ensure that he he does go with most Saints fans blessing. I, I think it's the natural step in our evolution to see what we do get next. Um but I guess I touched on it. What do you make of some of the stories that have mainly been put forward by the Athletic in the last 24, 48 hours? Um, well, it <clears throat> does smack a little bit of kicking someone when they're down, but playing devil's advocate, the journalists have got a job to do. They, they've obviously got trustworthy sources in their, in their eyes. And I mean, it's, it's their job to print stories. And if, 
and it's very it's very newsworthy at the moment. The manager's the manager's just been sacked. People want to hear about not just Saints fans, other people would want to hear about what, what went wrong or what were the negatives of his tenure. I mean, he, he did have it was pretty obvious during his time in charge. I mean, I don't want to seem like I'm doing it myself, kicking him in and down, but he did have he did have fallouts with players. I mean, obviously there was the, the strange situation two or three years ago where Ryan Bertrand just wasn't being picked, and there were there were games where we were playing Cedric at left back, and even like Stuart Armstrong started right, right wing back one game, I think, and Bertrand was just left on the bench, and obviously he was at that point one of the most consistent left backs in the Premier League, and it's happened with other players as well, and I mean I did see that some I think sport the Sport Bible post of. Saint sacking Ralph Hazenhutel was liked by one Angus Gunn, which is a which is an, an interesting one. Obviously, <laughs> I did see that. His his, I mean, the thing with Angus Gunn is, I mean, a bit of a tangent, but when he came into the team, I thought, wow, this this guy looks good. He, he really quick off his line and made some great saves. And up until the back end of the first season, then he made a mistake against Huddersfield at home. Never the same after that. And yeah, obviously, didn't things didn't end too well with Ralph? I guess he was in goal for the first nine nil. I think played one or two more times after that. And yes, I mean it's a bit, it's fine a bit weird because he knows people are going to see that, doesn't he? It's 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 a bit odd. Yeah, but, I actually just yeah, I appreciate you've gone off on like a slight tangent with Gum, but something that I've kind of always felt is that he's not necessarily an arm round the shoulder sort of manager in the sense that I think his improvement of players has not been to do with his man management skills. Moreover, his tactical kind of nous and ability to kind of see things in a player that would develop us as a team rather than specifically like their development. And I think that, you know, is, is a good example of someone like a gun where I don't think he ever had that. And others have clearly said that that just wasn't his style. I think he something that came out in that athletic article from yesterday was that he felt it was almost inefficient in that if he started doing it once, he'd have to continuously putting an arm around, you know, that player. But I think the, the thing that comes from some of the best managers of, you know, of the last 30, 40 years is that, you can have those kind of moments or those one-off conversations. You've seen it in things like all or nothing. You've seen it from players commenting on moments with Sir Alex and stuff. Like it doesn't have to be constant. <laughs> you can give the hairdryer treatment, but also know when players need that arm around their shoulder. And I think Ralph is, you know, I, I, I like the guy a lot, but I, I personally see him as a bit cold. Yeah. And I think it's quite telling. I mean, I've not been on social media much today, but, can't really see any players other than Theo Walcott who have posted anything to say thanks, thanks to Ralph or good luck, good be- all the best for the future. But yeah, I've not really seen much of that. I don't know how telling that is. I don't really know if people have been. I don't know if the players have been told not to do that. With obviously the new manager expected to come in later this week. I just don't. I'm not really too sure. But yeah, you don't know how much to read into that. To be honest. Yeah, agreed. I mean, look, I think the the kind of news is relatively fresh. We anticipated maybe this to come further down the line. I think it's worth 
potentially us unpacking certain elements of the the Ralph tenure. We can certainly do that at a future date. But something interesting that we both looked at this morning was around his win percentage. Um, it's it's not awful for a for a club of our stature, and obviously the context is he's kept us up over those times. But it's obviously nowhere near as good as the kind of managers that we feel have really kind of taken us on that level, which include Pochettino and, and Kuman in this regard. It's obviously worse than Puel as well. Um, in terms of kind of pure results, is there anything that you want to call out, Sam, before we move into the conversation around Jones? No, just trying to think my highlights of when Ralph was actually here is probably you go into the Spurs away game last season, um, obviously wins over City. I guess I guess the wins over lockdown left me a bit cold just because it was in front of empty stadiums. Obviously, the win against Man City at home when it wins when we beat Liverpool when um, when he fell to his knees. But obviously, my highlight as being one of the lucky two and a half thousand Fatton Park was the, probably the four 0 win in the, in the in the derby. I mean, I've been waiting to we've been waiting a hell of a long time to beat beat those beat them and uh, yeah, it was a very very sweet evening. I don't know I don't know what your your main highlight was. Yeah, I would say that the the 3-2 win at Spurs, it, it almost felt like the peak of our powers as well. Like Ralph had literally squeezed everything he could out of the squad at that time. Like the performance was so good. Like throughout, we, you know, we dominated a, a pretty decent Spurs team with, with Conte at, at the helm and, and looked just the better side. And there's been a number of those kind of performances. But I, I, I kind of agree in that I probably think that in Saints fans' eyes, Ralph isn't held in potentially the esteem he could be because our best period of football in terms of how well we were playing was in that lockdown period. <laughs> you know, Project yeah. Restart, we were the second best team across those 10 games. And if you had have had fans in stadiums for some of those performances, I think potentially the sort of um, the love loss that we've seen over the last six months or so with Ralph and the fans might not have been so significant. Um and that, and that, I guess, is a is a shame in some ways. But I also think that that period where we bounced back from that first 9-0 after that international break, I think there was a game we lost against Everton. We were just woeful. But then we played Arsenal, I believe, a game that we clearly should have won and were excellent. But we just had that period where we suddenly look rejuvenated and evolved very quickly into a really competitive side. And that, for me, was kind of the hallmarks of, of Ralph. And the early days as well, let's not forget the... That his first win against Arsenal, which was just, you know, incredible. Um, I think there was a game where it, there just seemed to be that really initial bond between the Saints fans and Ralph. Was it away at Huddersfield where we won? That's right. We may yeah. have won yeah. 3-1. I think Oberfemi scored one of the goals there. But like after the just sort of dire football and obviously results that we had with Hughes compared to what we had injected into us across those first three to four months under Ralph really shouldn't be forgotten. And I think we were only going one way until he stepped in at that point. Yeah, absolutely. It was, um, yeah, that first, I've sort of forgot about that first um, sort of bounce back after the, um, after the, after the Leicester game. And obviously it culminated in going to, Leicester, I think that's probably that yeah that sticks out for me as well. Going to Leicester and winning there, sort of just almost going full circle from from the nine nil. It was an incredibly emotional day for I think for him. It was a great day to be. I, I was lucky enough to be at the King Power that day, and it was very like 
it just you could just tell the players were so up for it after what happened. And um, yeah, it was a well-deserved win. And Ralph was just, yeah, it just seemed overwhelmed at the end. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Yeah, uh, no. And again, there might be more that comes to us throughout the, the next couple of pods, given what we see uh, potentially in the dugout and how we feel about that. I guess before we move specifically into Nathan Jones, are you surprised that the move is kind of moving so quickly and maybe any comment on the broader managerial search, maybe other names that you thought would be closer to us bringing in? Um, as much as I was surprised that the name that name of Nathan Jones came out, I think I'm sort of reassured a little bit by the fact that it is happening so quickly. So it does it does sort of smack of the fact that the guy guys behind the scenes like Erasmus Anderson have been looking at Nathan Jones for probably a while and thinking that this is the guy we want. I mean, he he wouldn't have been top top of my list, but he wouldn't have been anywhere near my list. But he um he's obviously caught the eye of of the, of the hierarchy at Saints and I'd rather it was someone that they they pinpointed for the role rather than someone that rather than like what I, I mean say what a few clubs have done like like Spurs at the start of last season where they tried to get A, B, C, D, E and F and ended up with ended up with Nuno and ends up being a disaster after seven, eight games like I'm not saying I'm not for I'm not for a minute saying that Nathan Jones has got comparable to um, Antonio Conte but um, <laughs> yeah I, I am I am reassured by the fact that the Saints have clearly earmarked him for, for the role and they think he fits our or fits fits their philosophy and yeah it'd be interesting to see how he fits in I'm not sure I know, I know you probably think this is similar to me is, as you're a bit a bit um, a bit gobsmacked when you, his name was brought up yeah, I guess, I don't know. I'm trying hard to like think about this in the realm of what potentially other clubs have done around us in the likes of, you know, I'll put kind of Brighton and, and, and even Villa. And I, I think I commented that the Emery move felt quite um, sort of quick, but obviously he's a top, top manager and they've done very well. We're, we're probably not in the same ballpark as a, as a villa in terms of how much we can offer and, and etc. But within broader kind of football fandom right now, there is this allure of almost that like <laughs> the unknown hipster style, you know, tactically astute manager from overseas. And you, you kind of have to like marry that with actually some realism around what would work for Saints in this situation. And, you know, there were people like Marcelo Gallardo put forward, Kettle Knutson was a name that was mentioned. Um, Bo Svensson, a name that you mentioned before as well, seemed to have been potentially looked at too. And all these managers that felt like actually a move to Saints would make sense for them and their career and potentially for us. I think Nathan Jones is potentially a slightly strange appointment and he has thrived in one environment so far and putting him in an environment that you know ultimately has better players has more expectation than you would probably imagine <laughs> you know Saints fans are, are, I don't think are the most kind of forgiving <laughs> for whatever um, you, you want to make of that um, and 
I also think that he's known as a relatively defensive direct coach that wants to press up the field. I, I kind of feel in the last 12 months under Ralph, we've been all right at pressing and relatively direct ourselves. We haven't played particularly, you know, attractive football in my mind. And, and most of our chance creation is set pieces or, or, or winning the ball back high up the pitch. These are things that Nathan Jones is, is, is known for. I want to caveat that with some other thoughts, but I was just really surprised. And the fact it's moved so quickly and we've got, you know, um, Luton announcing that they've given permission and potentially likely to move as soon as their match with Stoke. Ironically, the only other team that he's managed in kind of recent years um, playing them tonight. I was just very surprised. Yeah, look, I, I mean, I was as well. Um, what I would say is the people that were that are looking at, I mean, I've seen some incredible names, unrealistic names, um, touted by Saints fans, and look, we're not going to get we're not we can't compete with the the Villas of the world who can can throw money who can who can throw money at um, like European renowned managers like an Unai Emery who's won honours all, all over. Well, he's won European honours, and and then you compare it also to someone like Wolves who've got obviously a point of Julian Lopetegui and. I mean that's because that's because they're basically run by by a super super agent in George Mendes. What I mean, what Jones has done with at Luton is get the best out of a squad that's not not anywhere near the most talented in the championship. And you look at our squad, and we're I mean we're we're miles off being anywhere near the most talented, even in the bottom half of the Premier League. And if he can sort of get the players to buy into what he wants, if he can galvanise them. And, I mean, I'm I'm definitely looking for the positives in it. And because, I mean, it's going to happen by the looks of things. So there's no, I don't think there's any point kicking and screaming about it and saying, look, we should be getting it A, B, C or D. Yeah, he, he needs to get the best out of the squad. And I mean, he's going he's to have players hopefully back off the international break, like Livermento or, or Walker Peters should be back. And at least he, he he will get six weeks to work with the players. I mean, there's obviously chat of him being in charge at Anfield on Saturday and probably a free hit for him, probably more of an opportunity to see what, what the players are all about. And yeah, I, I do think that... It, that the attribute of getting the best out of what he has could is is the best we, we we're looking at because that's what that's what he needs to do. Yeah, we spoke very briefly, and I think my first reaction was was a relatively negative one. I think since then I've looked into a little bit more about his time at Luton and specifically that ability to squeeze more out of less and the almost the inverse of some of the things that we've touched on with Ralph in the last half an hour, his man management and intensity around getting the best out of players and putting an arm around them and showing them that he values them and they're kind of, he's going to develop them has been really quite impressive. There were some uh, quotes that came out about presentations he delivered to incoming players, including Dewsbury Hall was one of them that said he, 
basically had clips of Dewsbury Hall's game and went through a presentation with him. And Dewsbury Hall was just blown away and said, I, you know, I want to go on loan to Luton because of this man. And that's a small example, but like that kind of level of effort and intensity, he, I really wouldn't be surprised if, if he, he, you know, does manage in, in the Premier League at, at, at a good level, because ultimately the intensity that you need to do that is clearly there within him, whether he's got the, kind of the tactical now to perform at that highest level, I think remains to be seen. But like there is something about, uh, you know, that, that I'm relatively hopeful about, you know, I'm relatively hopeful that he can give these players a boost and we needed a change, any change, you know, we often talk about that new manager bounce. That is kind of there for a reason because often players just react to a change Obviously, he's been kind of well vetted by, it seems to be Rasmus Ankerson specifically, who, who really wants Jones. Like, I'm willing to put our, our faith in, in that and in what he's shown to Ankerson and others to prove that he's up for this challenge because it's, it's a big old fucking challenge. Yeah, and obviously he's brought through, I mean, Rasmus Ankerson has brought through talented managers. Obviously, he brought, Dean Smith came, came to Brentford, did a really good job there replaced by Thomas Frank, who is now flourishing in the Premier League. Um, yeah, I mean, Jones is, uh, he seems a very interesting character. Um, you wonder whether he's, you, I mean, you can compare him to like an Eddie Howe, where he's obviously very, Eddie Howe was very, he was Bournemouth, wasn't he? He, he went to Bournemouth, did, did incredible there, got, got, them, got them up the leagues, then, then left for Burnley. Didn't work out there. I mean, probably not as dramatically bad as as it went for Jones at Stoke. But looking looking at Stoke over the last, I think six, five, six years, no no managers flourished there. No managers done well there. So ever since probably Mark Hughes left, even even Hughes went downhill at the back end of his time there. You know, I mean, I completely forgot Paul Lambert was there to be honest, and then. Um, Michael O'Neill struggled. Obviously, he did really well with Northern Ireland. And Alex Neil isn't exactly pulling up trees at the moment there. So, I would probably take his time at Stoke with a little bit of a pinch of salt. But obviously, it is a glaring, it's a glaring flare up in, in his in his CV that he did he did ultimately fail there. But maybe that's made him made him that's made maybe that's made him a stronger manager and. It's going to be very interesting. Obviously, it's a good point that he does speak Spanish. So, link out with Ruben Sellers will be will be interesting. You do think that Saints have properly bought into Sellers, and he he will be staying at, staying at the club. You wonder how many of of Jones's coaches he'll be bringing along with him from Luton. So, yeah, it's going to be a very very interesting time. You do. I've heard from a lot of people. Well, it's a bad appointment, or this this and that, but. I think I've sort of got to the point now, I've got my head around it and thought, look, it's going to happen. So let's just see. Let's see what, what, what you can do. Yeah. I mean, he comes in with completely my, you know, full backing once he's in. And like you say, I think you kind of now like reverse engineering where this is a is a potential positive. He He's a really interesting character. And I think, I'm not saying that that's a, a bad thing. Like I think that some of the 
the, the best managers in world football are very intense and interesting characters and do things slightly differently. And, and, and that is, that is okay. And I, people commenting on things like his faith and, you know, certain things he's done at, at different points in his career to try and like, you know, shock the players, apparently he burnt a ping pong table, didn't he? Uh, to, to say he didn't want a ping pong culture at a club. You know, that wasn't culture. It was sort of playing for each other and wanting each other to do well. Like, I'm, I'm fine with that. Like people talking about faith as if like it's not a kind of ever present thing within football anyway. Like vast majority of footballers that come from overseas have faith as a really big part of, of who they are. Like it's, it, that, that isn't what maybe concerns me. And like you say, the period at Stoke is, is an alarming one, but that, that club does seem to have more deep-rooted issues. And you learn a lot, I think, from an experience like that where you not necessarily go back with your tails between your legs. Luton welcomed him back with open arms. He's done incredibly well again. Like he's, he was championship manager of the year, one of the most competitive leagues in world football and got Luton into the playoffs, you know, really unexpectedly last season. Like we have to r- remain positive about the appointment. Just some kind of numbers behind how their season is faring right now. They have basically one of the best defences in the league by far in terms of expected goals. They're, fourth best defense in terms of creating chances they're relatively mid-table but they they lie eighth in the championship and and again kind of going into a game with Stoke tonight where they can easily move into the playoff positions he is performing consistently at that level with a kind of average Luton squad for for you know I, I haven't looked too much into their squad profile but from all I read is that he's getting a lot out of them They've got Cameron Jerome. They've got Cameron Jerome still, so that that says it all, really. (laughs) Mate, exactly. If you're getting something out of Cameron Jerome, then you're doing all right. You know, this sounds... I mean, I don't really know whether he's a comment on this. Nathan Jones just sounds like a manager that you get relegated with. (laughs) As a name... And that's uh, what a ridiculous comment from me, Sam. But I just thought, you know what? Ralph and Hassan doesn't sound like a, a name of manager that gets relegated. He hasn't been relegated. We probably were going to get what relegated Harry, this what season. About, what about Harry Redknapp? Sounds like a manager you get relegated with. <laughs> I'm afraid. Don't tell the press that. <laughs> Nathan Jones, please prove me wrong that you're more than a name. Um, Sam, we... Just quickly on Sellers, because you raise a good point. He'll be charged for tomorrow's game against Sheffield Wednesday. It does seem like the players have warmed to him. Apparently, there were comments from players in the summer that they'd prefer him to be in charge instead of Ralph going into the season. I mean, he's obviously unproven in, in kind of management as such, but it does seem like he'll be sticking around, doesn't it? Yeah, I did sort of worry that he would be sort of earmarked as Ralph's replacement, despite having no real managerial experience, but I'm glad that's not the case. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see what he does tomorrow night, especially in terms of selection. I wonder whether they go very strong just because of um, we need to show we need a win, basically. We need and the players need to come out and show Nathan Jones what they're all about, really, before before Saturday. And yeah, Sellers is obviously going to be sticking around. I, I mean, I, I can't say I know too much about him, but he does seem to be very, very heavily involved this season. And yeah, he's definitely, definitely not, definitely someone who's not got, who definitely not going to be going anywhere anytime soon. Sam, I think it's a good conversation about Jones in particular. Uh, I guess we'll kind of move into you touched on it 
I think we'll probably will go strong tomorrow night against Sheffield Wednesday. I also saw that uh, our B team lineup yesterday was pretty strong, including players like you know Dibbling, Morgan, Doyle, others that uh, were were involved. I think Ballard might have been on the bench, given he um, played a part in our last fixture. I wouldn't be surprised if if he does feature at some point on Wednesday night. Um, but yeah, it does feel like we probably will try and get a reaction after what was. Yeah, a, a pretty um, dire performance and result against Newcastle. We haven't really touched on the game too much. I kind of want to maybe leave it in the past. We're obviously talking a lot about um, you know the future under what will very likely be Nathan Jones. Anything to comment on the Newcastle game before we move into what to expect from the rest of this week? No, he just showed that when a team's got quality and is clinical and is coached to the best of the ability of well as coached to what the players need to be um, that's what happens and as much as people say oh we need top class um, we need a top class striker the players that scored against us on Saturday were Miguel Almiron Chris Wood Joe Willock I mean then yeah. <laughs> none of them are, yeah. none of them none of them are clinical strikers are they and as much I know Chris Wood was obviously 20 million quid but he's not if Saints signed him I know there'd be a lot of uh, conjecture so I don't think it's um, just down to not having a clinical striker that we're in this situation yeah agreed there was kind of that period of the first 10 minutes second half where we were all right and we obviously missed two pretty good chances right at the end of the first half and right at the start of the second really but it did look like there was a clear golfing class in terms of the players and how well they're coached and they've got very good players as well throughout that team and Eddie Howe's done a great job and I really wasn't surprised by the result. In some ways, you know, not that I want Saints to win every single game they play, but maybe 3-1, 2-1 might have looked a little bit more respectable and we'd be in a similar situation not really knowing what what would happen this time next week. The decision, and in my opinion, the right decision was made and I think that was the outcome of what was relatively sort of significant loss um, in terms of the result and the gulf between the two teams. Um, would you, looks like Jones is going to be in place for Anfield on Saturday. Do you think that's a right call? Um, I think so. I just, I think that, um, it's, it's as I said before, it's a free hit. We, we always get battered at Anfield. We obviously had one there in the league since 2013 under, um, under Pochettino. And I, I don't think. I mean, as I said, before, I've said to, I said to you off off um, off pod. I think that um, any sort of decision this week, whether it was Ruben Sellers in charge, whether it is a new man in charge for these two games, I don't think either either decision changes the result of the game. I think we still w- win tomorrow night. I think we still lose on Saturday. So I think I don't think it does any harm to Nathan Jones's reputation of him being in charge at uh, Liverpool on Saturday and losing two three 0 because it's part of the course, isn't it? I know Liverpool have have been stuttering this season, but they do seem to have picked it up a little bit in the last couple of weeks. Obviously, that win against Spurs on Sunday. So yeah, I, I don't think we lose anything by having, having him in the dugout. I don't know what you I don't know what you think. Yeah, I was kind of non-plus on it either way. And I think your your reasoning there is relatively sensible. And just thinking about someone else in the dugout, obviously we've said that we wish Ralph well and you know thank him for his time in charge. 
geez, I'm excited to have someone else in the dugout and like see different things on the football pitch from a tactical perspective, hear different things from someone post-game. Like four years is a long time in, in football management these days. It's going to be nice, I think, for, for us to have that change and just see, you know, what, what Jones does in, in charge. Like, I'm excited for that. Obviously, we've then got this like weird period where we'll have like a six-week break before we see what he's actually about. And as you said, he's going to get that time on the training ground with the players that that aren't um, on international duty. Um, I guess maybe in next week's pod, we'll talk a little bit about those players that will feature at the World Cup. Let's now spend the last kind of few minutes on the pod talking about the game at Anfield on Saturday. I think we've chatted about Sheffield Wednesday tomorrow night. I think we'll go strong and I think we'll win. I think you probably see it the same. Liverpool had a really mixed beginning to the season, but it does feel like you know, when they are at it and ultimately when they're getting Mo Salah sort of closer to the middle of the pitch, he's been playing really up front as a sort of second striker when he's been performing. They still look like one of the best teams in the league. Yeah, of course. I mean, it was going to be a, a bit of a transitional period at the start of the season without Sadio Mane, who, I mean, as, as good as Salah's been over the past four or five years, I think Mane was the was the best of their attacking three in terms of just the impact he had and obviously the pace and just how, how he had, how he added to added to their team. But yeah, obviously, I mean, Salah's obviously fantastic as well and his record speaks for itself. I mean, I mean the whole team's very, very good. As you said, they started at the start of, last, at the start of this season. They go behind a lot in games. I know they didn't at the weekend, but Obviously, did 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 it St Mary's back in May when they were going for the title. So they're a team that can be got at, but I don't see how we get at them. I don't see how we we have the quality to get at them. I just think, especially midfield, the way our midfield is struggling at the moment. I mean, obviously, it's good to see Romeo Lavia back at the weekend. He he did look a bit a bit rusty, but it's it's going to happen. So. Yeah, if we can go there and put up a good performance, I'm not saying I'm not for a minute saying we can get a result there. I just don't don't think we will. Don't think we have the quality to either trouble them enough or stop them from scoring at the other end. But yeah, just a positive performance will will do for me to get into the international break. Exactly that, Sam. I couldn't agree more. I think it's a shot to nothing. Jones' first game in charge, very likely. The performance is crucial. And just seeing signs that there's a reaction from the players to the things that Jones is saying. And, you know, he'll have had a matter of days, potentially not even that, to work with the players. So what will be, will be, right? But I just want to see a competitive sort of fixture in a fixture that up until this point, if I'm thinking about our last outings to Anfield, they just really haven't been competitive in any stretch of the imagination. I can't really think of a close game that we've had at Anfield since Ralph. Well, I, I guess in, in Ralph's tenure. Um, I don't remember, I our best correct, performance correct there on the Ralph was when I think our best performance there on the Ralph was the year they has it even won the title, nearly won the title, where we actually looked quite good in the first half. I think, I think it was nil nil at half time. Yeah, yeah, and created a fair bit. And then we could have had a penalty, but then all of a sudden we just sort of capitulated a little bit and yeah, yeah. quality told. But other than that, it's been yeah, it's been pretty bleak ever since in the last few years at Anfield and would be surprised yeah. to be another another tough day again. Agreed. We're gonna wrap up there. Listener, thank you for staying the course. Thank you, Sam, for your time. 
Um, we'll be back after the game at Liverpool with a full debrief on that, what will likely be Nathan Jones's first game in charge. 